0: Hi, this is Corey Turner, and along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. I want to invite you to turn with me to Matthew 16. I want to read from verses 13 to 20, and God's been uh, putting this passage on my heart and I just want to really help us to renew our faith, our focus on the value of the local church, the importance of it, the solution for it, uh, for the essential issues of people's souls. And in Matthew 16, verse 13, it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, "But Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. I wanna speak to you today on the subject, I will build my church. I will build my church. Um, Churches looked very different for all of us over the last two years. Maybe you've become a believer in the last couple of years, and so you've never had a uh, previous experience before uh, pandemic and lockdowns, etc. Of what church is like. But for those of us who've been on the journey for a while, uh, churches look different, and never before in our generation has there been so much disruption to our normal way of life. And yet, never before has the need for the local church been greater. I was on my way driving in on the eastern freeway several months ago during at the height of the lockdown and and we were coming to broadcast another service and as I drove under a bridge there was a young lady that was standing on the ledge of that bridge and was uh, looking to jump off and there were police around her trying to talk her out of that and care for the care for her and serve her as best as they could and I was just reminded again that many of us in this season have been presented up close and personal with the sadness and the tragedy of people's stories and. And from our homes and from our screens, we've often felt powerless. How do we help people? How do we reach people at their point of need? And I know many of us in our own church community have had our own journeys and struggles and things that we've had to work through. And if you've gone through this season uh, struggling, uh, you're not on your own. Uh, Many, many numbers of us have, have been on that journey with you. Other people have handled it in different ways and far better, but there's been a lot of tough uh, challenges that we've all faced. And I've witnessed in the midst of all those things, our church rise up and serve each other and care for people and minister to each other's needs in a powerful way as best as we can. And whether society recognises it or not, the essential issue of people's souls cannot be ministered to any more effectively than through the local church. There are many man-made strategies and many things that our world and our society, and we thank God for that, offers up to help people but at the end of the day the church is the only group of people on the planet that's been called to point people to the solution of our eternal souls and that is the person of Jesus Christ we're called by the chief shepherd himself to actually bring clarity to the confusion of people's souls i think many people are still trapped in a fog in the fog of war in this season that They're trying to find their way through the fog of issues and challenges and media and all sorts of things and we're called to minister clarity, a clarion call, a trumpet call to the issues of people's souls and what you believe about Jesus really determines everything about how you live your life. What you believe about Jesus determines how you approach the local church. Your commitment to the house and being planted in the house and how you live your life is determined by how you view Jesus. And it's interesting in this passage that Jesus asks the question of the disciples, so who do people say that I am? He's not trying to get a popularity though. He's actually trying to ascertain the level of spiritual insight and perception into who he really is. He says, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then Jesus zeroed in, moving from the corporate to the personal, to the individual. And he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter responds out of a heart of faith and revelation. And he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You see, your revelation of Jesus will determine your relationship with Jesus. It'll determine everything about how you relate to Him, how you approach the church, how you live your life. And in contrast to Peter, the Pharisees actually spent years memorising the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. They would study the prophets which spoke of the coming Messiah. And yet when Jesus showed up, they missed the revelation of who Jesus was. In fact, so much so that Jesus says, you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. What a challenging rebuke. That for people who've spent all of their time in their, as the religious elite studying, they miss the very person that the scriptures pointed to. So much so that when Jesus rode in on a donkey, triumphant entry into Jerusalem, his followers were praising him and worshipping him. They wanted Jesus to tell his followers to be quiet, not to praise and worship. And Jesus said, well, there's more revelation in these rocks than there is in you lot. And if they don't worship me, even the rocks themselves will cry out in worship and honour. Instead, what God does, he reveals himself to an ordinary fisherman named Peter, who became one of the founding fathers of the early church, Peter, James and John, along with the other disciples, and this tells me, you know, mere church attendance, as important as that is, or even reading the Bible doesn't guarantee an intimate knowledge of Jesus. I, I think we need to contend for the gathering of God's people. And I praise God that people are, you know, obviously with the complexities of this season, are watching church online, either individually or in groups, and that's good. And, 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 but I do believe that we need to contend for the gathering of God's people in this season. There is a time and a season for every matter under heaven and it's time now for us to come back together again and begin to move forward over these coming weeks as we move into a new year. But just because we attend church or even read the Bible doesn't mean we really know who Jesus is. Jesus said, many shall come in that day saying, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty miracles in your name? And Jesus said, depart from me, I never knew you. You can perform religious acts in the name of Jesus and unfortunately still be a great distance off, a great distance away from who Jesus is and what He is calling us to. Every one of us has to answer for ourselves who Jesus is. You'll be as close to Jesus as your greatest revelation of him is. What is God saying to you right now in your life about your walk with Him, your relationship with Him? What are you learning about the person of Jesus in this season? Is He fresh? Is He alive? Or maybe your view of God is tired, it's fatigued and and if that's the case, uh, no condemnation. I understand what that's like but I believe today that the Holy Spirit wants to reveal Jesus in a fresh way to every single one of us that like Peter, we would say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And so if Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, then really to whom else shall we go? Only he has the words of eternal life. We're living in a world where people are searching, desperately searching for solutions and answers in the midst of all that's happening. But I tell you, when When you get a revelation of who Jesus is, the deeper that grows, the closer your relationship to him becomes and the more accountable you become to his lordship in your life. See, Jesus answered Peter after Peter responds with that great revelation. He says, blessed are you in verse 17, Simon bar Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father... Who is in heaven? The revelation of Jesus is a blessing beyond anything this world can give you. I thank God for his practical gifts and blessings, the provision, the things that he puts in our lives and gives to us to sustain us. In fact, James 1.17 says every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, of whom there is no shadow or variation due to change. Every good and perfect gift comes down from heaven, comes down from God. In fact, the Bible says no person can receive anything unless it is given to them by the Father, speaking obviously about good things. But you need to understand that whilst God has given every one of us good gifts to enjoy, many of us end up chasing the gift and miss the giver. Can I encourage us as God's people, let's not get so enamoured with the gifts out of God's hand that we miss the glory of His face, of what it means to be in intimacy with God. So many people, so many believers are caught up in the temporal realm and they are enamoured with the gift and they're missing the giver. He is the source of every good gift. And in the Bible, thank God that we've got a Bible that we own and that we can read, where we can learn from others who have gone before us. And King Solomon in the Old Testament was someone who was blessed with heavenly wisdom He was blessed with prosperity beyond our wildest dreams. He was blessed with all sorts of human pleasures and yet his heart actually deviated off towards those things in a way from the faith and worship of his father, David, who was a man after God's own heart. Let us not become so enamoured with the blessings of God that we miss the heart of God. We've got to remain people of the presence of God and not just people who enjoy the gifts and the blessings that God gives us in our lives. Gehazi was another example. He was the servant of the prophet Elisha. He was third in line. Maybe to receive a triple portion anointing upon his life, Elijah had a portion, Elisha had a double portion. Maybe Gehazi really didn't fully understand the significance of what had been entrusted to him and so he got distracted by the gifts that man could offer and he forfeited his calling and missed out on what the father actually wanted to give him because he didn't consider that the revelation of being in relationship with God was more important than the temporal things of this world. Paul said to Timothy, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within you, guard the good deposit that's been entrusted to you. What is the good deposit that's been entrusted to us? It's the treasure of knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. Blessed are you. Jesus said, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You didn't read this in a textbook. You didn't get this in a classroom. The Holy Spirit, you had an encounter. Oh, I'm contending. I want a new encounter with Jesus in my life. We need a new encounter with God in this season. Jesus said to Peter, I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You see, the good news of the gospel, the good news of being a part of a local church is not even the gates of hell can can stop Jesus from building his church. There is nothing, neither height nor depth, nothing in heaven and earth or under the earth that can stop Jesus from building his church. And it's interesting that phrase, the rock, Jesus has reference to the rock. He's not talking about the rock, the actor, the wrestler. He's, he's, he's talking about a different rock. Um, Jesus' reference to the rock has been debated for centuries. And while the root meaning of Peter's name is Petros, Petra, rock, it, the significance of it goes beyond just Peter's name. You see, the key to understanding the term is to understand the significance of the geography in which Jesus made this statement. Jesus actually brought the disciples to a region called Caesarea Philippi. And you can read this in verse 13. That was its Roman name. But in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, it was known as Bashan. Now Bashan was considered in traditional Jewish thinking and in how they would structure their life, it was considered the gateway to the realm of the dead. Literally, it was known as the gates of hell. It was sort of like a ground zero For evil cosmic powers. And the reason for that is because Caesarea Philippi and Bashan in the Old Testament is situated at the foot of the rock called Mount Hermon. And on Mount Hermon in Genesis 6, we read about where the sons of God rebelled against God and came to earth and had sexual relations with the daughters of man and this defiled and polluted God's original intention for his creation and therefore you have Noah and his ark enter the scene and God decides he's going to hit the reset button because he's going to begin again with a remnant of his people that is actually going to perpetuate and continue his original purposes for creation. I know it may sound like a science fiction movie, but it's all in the book of Genesis. And this is why we got to know the Word of God, because all of these things are linked. Things that Jesus said, things that Jesus did, they're all connected way back, Genesis 1, all the way through to Revelation 22. And so here is Jesus in the place that was known as the gates of hell, the realm of the dead and he is challenging the dark powers and cosmic principalities that people are afraid of and people are reluctant to go there. Jesus says, hey, disciples, come with me. I'm gonna show you something. And so they're right there, right on the devil's doorstep and Jesus is telling Satan, your claim over humanity has come to an end. I'm coming to bring a kingdom and I'm coming to call a people the church ecclesia out of this world and they will be my people just as Israel were in the old covenant so too the church shall be the offspring of Abraham under the new. In essence, Jesus was knocking on the devil's front door and serving him notice. He was saying, I've come to take back what is rightfully mine. My creation is mine and so up your nose with a rubber hose, what are you gonna do about it? That's exactly what Jesus was doing. He was challenging and provoking the enemy to see what he would do, knowing that Jesus had to lay his life down on the cross and then pick the Holy Spirit raise him back up to life again so that you and I would not live under the weight of eternal death and sin any longer, but now we're filled with the righteousness of Jesus. Now we're filled with the Holy Spirit and now we're going to spend all eternity with heavenly bodies in heaven with God. You see, the church is the only thing that Jesus is building on planet earth. Jesus never promised to build some company or business, never promised to build my personal agenda. He said, I will build my church. And that's why I say to every believer, hit your wagon to the local church. you got a business connected to the local church. Your finances connected to the local church. Your family, your relationships, your dreams, your purposes connected to the local church. The church isn't just this gathering on Sunday. Oh, we've discovered over the last two years it's more than just a gathering, but gee, isn't the gathering good? It's more than that. It's wherever we go, we are the church. When you're on job, you're the church. When you're with your family at a restaurant, cafe, you're the church. We're the church wherever we go, but let us never forget that it's because we're in the church that our lives are what they are. There is a blessing and a favour by being planted in the local church. You see, since the birth of the church on Pentecost, world wars have come and gone, but the church is still here. Persecution comes and it goes, but the church is still here. Pandemics have come and will eventually go, but the churches will still be here because Jesus is the head of the church. He's the chief shepherd. He loves the church. It's his bride. He gave himself up for her. He wants us to celebrate the church as the bride of Christ, not the bride of Frankenstein, the bride of Christ. So often we beat up the church and yeah, it does have a few issues, some hurt, some dirt, some smells and bells, just like Noah's Ark. But the reality is, how much can you agree with me that it was far better being in Noah's ark than drowning in the floodwaters of the world? Yeah, there were some messes and some issues with the elephants and rhinoceroses and all the different animals that were on that ark. There were a few issues, there were a few hurts, there were a few things, but thank God we're on the ark. That doesn't mean we bunker down and shut the rest of the world off. No, now it means we become a rescue mission. Now it means that we actually become the people that that are carrying the the keys of the kingdom to help people gain access into the kingdom of God. And every believer who shares in the revelation of Jesus as the son of God is called to co-labor with Jesus in building his church. That's why this passage shifts, it pivots in verse 19 where Jesus said, I will give you, The keys. Now that you've had this revelation, Peter, now that you've confessed and you know that I am the Son of the Living God, I'm going to give whoever has that same revelation keys to access the kingdom of God. And I am going to give you authority that whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. In other words, God has entrusted you and I to be stewards of His kingdom on earth. You're a part of a kingdom. You and I, as citizens of this kingdom, as members of the church, by faith, blood of Jesus, washing us clean, we are part of an eternal heavenly kingdom on earth. This isn't something that's separate to us. This isn't something that God is just doing, you know, away from our lives. No, He wants us to be a part of the story. He wants us to play our part and our role in the stewardship of His kingdom on earth. Every single one of us are called not to be observers, but participants in advancing the kingdom. How many of us know over the last two years we've observed a few things? We've observed church online and, and, uh, you know, you get a little bit fatigued with that, and and I just feel for all those people that are watching online and watch party now, and it's just it's like the gift that keeps on giving. It's a never-ending marathon, and, and our hearts are weighed down by that reality, but at the same time as that, in the midst of our observation, God calls us to participation. And We need to understand the significance of what Jesus has done. Colossians 1.13 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His Son. We were once living in darkness. Our hearts were darkened because of sin. We're separated from God. There's no hope. There's no life. Our spirits are dead. But then He has transferred us. He's Cast light upon that darkness. He's forgiven us of our sins. He's made us new creations in Christ Jesus and now we're a part of the family of God. That's what happens when someone gets born again or born of the Spirit. They confess their sin. They acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus. They repent and turn away from their old life. They believe in Jesus as the Son of God. There is this immediate exchange and transference that takes place. So God has moved us from darkness to light and he's given us keys. Keys to the kingdom symbolise authority, to open locked doors. If I give you a key to my house, I'm actually authorising you to use it to gain access to my house for the purpose for which I've given you the keys. The same with our heavenly father. By giving you the keys of the kingdom, Jesus has authorised you to admit entrance to people to enter into the kingdom of God. He didn't say, I'm gonna have the keys. He said, I'm giving you the keys. I'm giving you the keys to the car. It's like when kids, my daughter's about to turn 18 and driving lessons and, oh, help me, Jesus. Keys to the car, right? Right? Now she'll be awesome. I'm calling those things that are not as if they were. And so (laughs) Jesus is like giving you the keys. You say, what are the keys of the kingdom? Well, one of those keys is the message of the gospel. Do you realise that the gospel in your mouth is a key that opens doors to people's entrance into the kingdom of God? The way you love and serve people with the gifts of the Holy Spirit in your life is a key to accessing the kingdom of God for people. You and I have the authority, we have the capacity to admit entrance or shut the kingdom off to people based upon how we steward the gospel. What did Jesus say to some of the lawyers and religious elite? You've shut the kingdom off from people. You've binded people up in so many rules and regulations, you've shut them off and yet Jesus said, I'm giving you the key of knowledge to access the kingdom of God. What's the key of knowledge? Faith in Jesus Christ as the son of God. You wanna understand the word more? Faith in Jesus Christ as the son of God. The gospel is the master key that opens locked doors to people outside of the kingdom of God. So if we don't have a reason for the hope that we have or we aren't sharing Jesus confidently in our lives, we're actually shutting the the kingdom off to people who need it. It's actually quite challenging. Who's ever lost their keys? Like nearly everyone. I have a habit of losing things. I've left like things all over the planet, on planes, I've left iPads, I've left expensive suits and expensive headphones and come home and tell Sim and got to go shopping again, honey. And, And it's like, you know, I remember one time I drove to the rubbish tip for nearly 15k away and the whole time I'm driving on the dashboard, it's like, you know, key not in car. It's flashing up, key not in car. I'm like, how can that be? I'm driving my car. You need the key sort of close to the car or near the car to drive the car, key not in car. I'm like, now nah, it's wrong. It needs to be fixed. Go Get that fixed up. So I drive, get to the tip, unload everything. But I turned off the car just unknowingly. Well, the car's not going back on again. And so apparently it was right, key not in car. And so I'm freaking out, right? I'm looking in the car. I'm look, I'm wading through rubbish. Where have I lost the key? I'm trying to think back. And when everything goes pear-shaped in my life, call your wife, call Sim, right? She'll fix it. She's like triple zero, she'll fix it. And so Sim, and she's like, well, what do you want me to do? I don't know, do something, just come up. She's like, where did you leave it last? Oh, brilliant idea. And so I'm thinking through, and as I'm thinking that through, I realise I put the keys on top of the car before I left home. And so I reach up and guess where the key were still on the roof of the car (laughs) key not in car but key really close that's why we can keep on driving and so many believers are just like that the keys are close the keys are accessible but they're not in the car of our hearts. They're not in our mouths. They're not in our lives. And so we're we're, we're living our lives, driving through our lives and we're ignorant or we're not accessing the keys to open the locked doors to the kingdom of God. God has given you a key. It's called the gospel. God has given you a key called spiritual gifts. God has given you a key, loving people into the kingdom of God. How are you using the keys of the kingdom that God has given to you? And then he talks about binding and loosing. And often we sort of look at that through the filter of the authority of prayer, that through prayer we can bind and loose. And whilst there is provision for that in other passages of Scripture, he's actually talking about you and I being given authority through the keys of the kingdom of God to open and close doors to people outside of the kingdom based upon their profession and revelation of Jesus as Lord. You and I are invited to be a part of Jesus building His church on planet Earth. He hasn't just left it to the sort of special weapons and tactics team that's like, you know, supposedly the elite of the elite to do that. No, we're all called into this covenant family. We're all called to play our role. How do we participate in stewarding God's kingdom on Earth? Firstly, I wanna say to you, we're gonna make sure we abide in Christ. John 15, five says, whoever abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. To the degree that you believe that truth, that apart from Christ, you can do nothing will be the degree to which you abide in Christ. Fruit that is produced from your life will only come through remaining and abiding in Christ. Secondly, we've got to imitate Jesus. If we're gonna steward his kingdom on earth, we've got to follow Jesus, imitate Jesus. John five nineteen said, The son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. So in a world that is looking for leaders, is looking for mentors, is looking for coaches, is looking for consultants, people who will point the way, Jesus is the hero of the story. We have in our hands, we have on our phones or iPads, we have in the word of God, the greatest example and model that we could ever imitate. So if you're looking for solutions and answers about, what does it mean to live the kingdom on earth? Look no further than Jesus. What did Jesus do? He loved people. He served people. He confronted the kingdom of darkness and had authority. You, if you're a believer in Jesus, you have authority over the kingdom of darkness. The devil's more scared of you than anything else in the world. But, he's, but often we don't walk in that freedom because we don't realise the authority that we have. Jesus preached the gospel. He made disciples. He healed the sick. Do you realise it's not just someone with a gift of healing that can believe to heal sick people? If you're a believer in Jesus, you can pray for people and believe that God can heal people. And we have stories and testimonies over these last two years that in the midst of all the challenges, sick people are still getting healed, transformed by the power of the Spirit. We abide in Christ. We imitate Christ. Thirdly, we share Jesus confidently with people. And if you feel maybe a little bit afraid of that or vulnerable around that, can I encourage you to get equipped? In our church, we have a course, Sharing Jesus Confidently. Our life groups just went through a series about how you and I can better understand God's story intersecting with our story to help inform other people's stories And that you don't have to just cower away and be intimidated by the dominating influence in the media or the world around us, but that you can have a reason for the hope that you have. And share Jesus confidently. I think also with that comes the call to make disciples. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. In other words, discipling one other person to follow Jesus along with you. Maybe it's meeting at a cafe, going to the gym, walking down the street with someone, but taking them on a journey of what it means to follow Jesus. And also I think it means to get equipped for our ministry. Every single believer has been called to a ministry. Your ministry and platform may look different to mine, but you have a ministry. And so here at Numa, beginning in February next year, we're introducing Numa discipleship, which really we've been doing all along, but On a Wednesday night, every Wednesday in the month, we want to be really focused on Numa discipleship. On the first Wednesday of the month, come together, team advance at any one of our locations where we train people and equip people to understand how to be effective and fruitful in their ministry. Then on the second Wednesday of the month, meet in a life group, either leading or participating, being a part of a community of believers. Third Wednesday of the month, we're going to gather together in prayer power and here at City, all the locations coming in, we're going to pray and intercede and worship for each other and for our city. And on the last Wednesday of the month, we will meet together in life group again and it's Numa discipleship. If you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, you need to understand that there, there is a responsibility to get equipped. And so we gather together on Sundays like this and then we get discipled on Wednesday nights and then the rest of our lives we live out of that place of abiding, imitating, following Jesus, discipling others. For some of you that may mean next year signing up and registering and being a part of Numa College. It may mean doing an internship here at church or studying full time, studying part time, saying, God, I am gonna get equipped in what you've called me to do and then finally using the gifts that God has given to you. Every single person has been given a gift from heaven. Capacity, ability, anointing. And God does not want you to waste that, He wants you to use it. Not just in these four walls, but out in the world at large because every time you and I use our gifts, we present to the world a brilliant view of who our loving Heavenly Father is.